0: Light mindedness. Treating lightly things that are really important. Not assigning the correct value to something that comes from God. Light mindedness doesn't have a single thing to do with a sense of humor or laughter. I don't care how much you laugh, and yes, God has a sense of humor. When I'm all dour, and desperate, and pleading, very often the first response of the Lord is a quip about how inappropriately I'm behaving. The first message in the first talk of the Ten Talks was to be of good cheer because our Lord is of good cheer. He takes seriously the things that will save us, but He really does enjoy our company and wishes that we likewise enjoyed one another's company as we ought to do. Light of Christ Also known as Holy Spirit, Intelligence, Glory of God, Power, or Light and Truth. The power by which man exists. And the mechanism that sustains all mankind from moment to moment and lends them the power to live and breathe. What is this relationship between God's power and the light of Christ? God's power proceeds forth from Him and sustains not only planets, stars, and the sun, but also all men and women so that they live. The light of Christ, which is in and through all things, is coextensive with the Father's glory or intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. TNC 93, Paragraph 11 All creation is sustained by the light of Christ. He keeps it organized by the light emanating from Him. This is why redemption is possible through Him. When He descended below it all, including death, He had the power to bring it all back to life with Him. He must permeate all things in order to lay a hold of all things and rescue all from destruction. At this very moment, we are in contact with Him through His Spirit. He is giving us life. He is not a distant God. He is an immediate and intimate God. He knows our thoughts because He gives us the ability and freedom to think. He knows how to judge us because everything we do uses His power. He lends us life and light. We have only the illusion of privacy. We have the freedom to act and choose, but our freedom operates inside His creation. Everything is dependent on His power. Living Water Christ instructs in 3 Nephi 5, paragraph 8 about baptism, and he said unto them, On this wise shall ye baptize, and there shall be no disputations among you. Verily I say unto you that whoso repenteth of his sins through your words and desireth to be baptized in my name, on this wise shall ye baptize them, behold, ye shall go down and stand in the water. This living ordinance should be performed in living water, if possible. Connect with God by using the things he provides. We believe and practice the doctrine of Christ. We practice baptism by immersion in living waters, meaning lakes, rivers, streams, and oceans, where there is life. Anciently, the Jews practiced baptism in living water, that is, in a naturally renewing body of water, like a river, lake, or ocean. Living water was part of the symbol. Lord's Anointed In the broadest sense, anyone who has been through an anointing in the temple. Lord's Supper. See Sacrament. Love. There are two great forces at work in the universe. One is entropy. Everything is getting colder, darker, and dissolving. This force is unrelenting and can be found everywhere in the physical world. Opposing it, however, is something that is creative, renewing, and equally unrelenting. This force that renews life, introduces new energy, and forms new systems is God's work. It is, in a word, love, or in the vernacular of the scriptures, it is charity. See also the glossary entry, Charity. Lucifer in our language we use the name Lucifer for an angel who was in authority before God, who rebelled, fought against the work of the Father, and was cast down to the earth. His name means holder of light or light-bearer, for he had gathered light by his heed and diligence before he rebelled. He has become a vessel containing only wrath and seeks to destroy all who will hearken to him. He is now enslaved to his own hatred. Satan is a title which means accuser, opponent, and adversary hence once he fell lucifer became or in other words was called satan because he accuses others and opposes the father lucifer pretends to be an angel of light because he once was one of the powers of heaven he was an angel of god who was in authority in the presence of god who rebelled TNC 69 paragraph 6 he still feigns to that authority and fools are still misled into covenanting with him see also the glossary entry satan maketh flesh his arm. A way of saying the strength of man, rather than the strength of God. No man's precepts should be accepted when they do not originate in revelation from God. Without a connection to revelation and the Holy Ghost, the teachings are all the arm of flesh. If anyone wants to trust in that, he will be cursed, see 2 Nephi 12, paragraph 6. See also the glossary entry, Trust in Man mansion the greek word mon in john 9 paragraph 6 was translated by jerome in the late 4th century as mancio in the latin vulgate version of the bible two verses later in john 9 paragraph 8 jerome renders the same word monai as abode an individual and dwelling see for example john 9 paragraph 6 enos 1 paragraph 7 ether 5 Paragraph 7, TNC 46, Paragraph 1. Centuries later, the King James Version was influenced by the Latin translation and the word mancio retained its English cognate meaning of mansion from Latin mansionem, from the nominative mancio, a staying, a remaining, night quarters, station. The word also was used in Middle English as a stop or stage of a journey. Although its meaning today has changed to describe a large, extravagant, and luxurious residence, its original connotation was a temporary stopping-off place for travelers on their journey to an ultimate destination. The Latin term mancio is derived from manir, signifying to pass the night at a place in traveling. On the great Roman roads the mansions were at the same distance from one another as on those of the Persian Empire. They were originally called castra being probably mere places of encampment formed by making earthen entrenchments. In process of time they included, not only barracks and magazines of provisions for the troops, but commodious buildings adapted for the reception of travelers of all ranks, and even of the emperor himself, if he should have occasion to visit them. A mansion can be interpreted as a temporary place of rest or reward on the path of progression. Marriage The Gospel is all about marriage and family. The creation was for Adam, and creation was not good until Eve was given as a spouse and helpmeet for Adam. From this simple account of man's origin, one notes that everything from the stars above to the world itself led inexorably to the marriage of Adam and Eve. As a couple, the two were the image of God. The first commandment given to mankind was to multiply and replenish the earth. The account in Genesis testifies that God's creation of this world was to facilitate marriage of man and woman in order to produce a family. God performed the first marriage before death entered the world. At the creation, marriage was as eternal as man before the fall. The restoration points to eternal marriage as man's glorious destiny. The restoration also began to make eternal marriage in the image of God again possible. Therefore, all the elements of the Gospel point back to marriage as God's final purpose for mankind. Marriage is a great venue for learning obedience, sacrifice, chastity, and consecration. Marriage is a laboratory to prove men and women and to see if they will give heed to God's direction. Marriage, above everything else, is the image of God. This is what God intends to preserve into eternity. It is so much easier for God to take people who have the kind of marriage that is described in Jacob 2, paragraph 11, and preserve them than it is to take someone who may know all the mysteries but whose marriage is in ruins and preserve them. The man and woman who have this kind of pure marriage are more godly. The Lord has reaffirmed and revealed Scripture to this generation that marriage was, in the beginning, between one man and one woman, and was intended to remain so for the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. That they may multiply and replenish the earth. I commanded that there shall not any man have save it be one wife, and concubines he shall have none. I, the Lord your God, delight in the chastity of women, and in the respect of men for their wives. Marriage was established at the beginning as a covenant by the word and authority of God, between the woman and God, the man and woman, and the man and God. It was ordained by my word to endure forever. Mankind fell but a covenant established by my word cannot fail, and therefore in death they were not to be parted. It was my will that all marriages would follow the pattern of the beginning, and therefore all other marriages would be ordained as at the first. But fallen men refused my covenant, did not hearken to my word, nor receive my promise, and marriages fell outside my rule, disorganized and without me, therefore unable to endure beyond the promises made between the mortal man and the mortal woman, to end when they are dead. Only those things that are by me shall remain in and after the resurrection. Marriage by me, or by my word, received as a holy covenant between the woman and I, the man and woman, and the man and I, will endure beyond death and into my Father's kingdom, worlds without end. Those who abide this covenant will pass by the angels who are appointed, and enter into exaltation. Concerning them it shall be said, You shall come forth in the first resurrection, and if they covenant after the first resurrection then in the next resurrection, and shall inherit in my kingdom their own thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all heights and depths and shall pass by the angels to receive exaltation, the glory of which shall be a fullness and a continuation of their posterity for ever. Marriage is necessary for the exaltation of the man and woman and is ordained by me through the Holy Spirit of promise, or in other words by my covenant, My law, and my authority. Like the marriage in Eden, marriage is a sacrament for a sacred place, on holy ground, in my presence, or where the Holy Spirit of promise can minister. But rebellion has kept mankind from inheriting what I ordained in the beginning, and therefore women and men have been left to marry apart from me. Every marriage established by me requires that I be part of the covenant for it to endure, for endless is my name, and without me the marriage cannot be without end for so long as I endure it shall also endure, if it is made by my word and covenant. But know also that I can do my work at any time, for I have sacred space above, and can do my work despite earth and hell. Whenever I have people who are mine, I command them to build a house, a holy habitation, a sacred place where my presence can dwell or where the Holy Spirit of promise can minister, because it is in such a place that it has been ordained to recover you, established by my word and my oath your marriages. Therefore the marriage covenant is needed for all those who would likewise seek to obtain from me the right to continue their seed into eternity, for only through marriage can thrones and kingdoms be established, TNC 157, paragraphs 34-43. Martyr. The kind of persecution which produces the kingdom of heaven is martyrdom. Originally the word martyr meant witness. The Greek word for martyr is. Martis or witness. But so many of the early Christian witnesses were killed that it came to have the modern meaning of one who dies for their faith. Martyrs were seen in John's vision below the altar of God. See Revelation 2, paragraph 11. This means they were holy because of their sacrifice, the heavenly altar being a symbol of them having shed their blood as witnesses. Joseph Smith and Hiram joined those who qualified for such a witness. Blessed are those who are willing to endure persecution for his name's sake. For they are those who are willing to develop faith which cannot be obtained in any other way. It is through the sacrifice of all things that faith necessary for salvation is developed. See also the glossary entry, Persecution. Mary, the Mother of Christ Scriptures speak carefully about the existence and importance of a heavenly mother a divine female whose greatest attribute is to bestow wisdom upon the whole of this creation. It is possible to completely miss her presence. The father and the son are masculine and therefore personified by the word knowledge. The mother and the son's companion are feminine and are personified by the word wisdom. These personifications reflect an eternal truth about these two parts of the one true God. Knowledge, masculine, initiates. Wisdom, feminine, receives, guides, and tempers. Knowledge can be dangerous, unless it is informed by wisdom. Wisdom provides guidance and counsel to channel what comes from knowledge. These are eternal attributes, part of what it means to be a male or a female. Creation begins with the active initiative of knowledge, but order and harmony for the creation requires wisdom. Balance between them is required for an orderly creation to exist. A great deal can be learned about Heavenly Mother by searching for the word wisdom in Scripture. Very often the reference to wisdom is to her distinctly, not merely an abstract attribute. What was Mary's role? Who is she? Is it possible she was the Mother of God before she came into mortality? These are important questions that ought to be asked. If one can learn the answers, they would indeed be glorious. The Greek title Mother of God Theotokos has been used in Eastern Christianity since the 3rd century and perhaps as early as the 2nd century. The title was exclusively associated with Mary. By the 5th century, the title became controversial and the replacement term Mother of Christ. Christotokos was substituted. Since the pre-earth existence of man is not universally accepted in Christianity, Most Christians have never considered even the possibility of a pre earth identity for Mary. Despite this, she, like all mankind, existed before this world. If God the Father obeys the same commandments he imposes upon his children, then for him to father a child with any woman other than his wife would violate his decrees about adultery and chastity. Before this creation, the Mother in heaven was with the Father, she was beside him when his work began. She was there when the plan was laid, the boundaries established, and the compass applied to establish order for the creation. All the father knows, the mother knows. All the father established and ordered, the mother established and ordered. They are one. The father is the source of glory and likened to the sun. The mother reflects and shares this glory and is likened to the moon. She reflects God's glory, endures within it, and is empowered by it. She can participate with him in all that is done, wielding that glory. Knowledge is the initiator or force, and wisdom is the regulator, guide, apportioner, and weaver of that power. If not tempered and guided by wisdom, knowledge can be destructive. Wisdom makes the prudent adaptations required for order. The father and mother are one. But the mother bridges the gulf between the throne of the father and fallen man. She made it possible for the Son of God to enter this fallen world for the salvation of everything in it. A great deal of reflection and study is needed to understand all this implies. This is an introduction of some basic information about the Mother of God or the Mother of the Son of God after the manner of the flesh. If the condescension of God included the Mother of God, as well as her Son, then she was also a critical participant for providing the sacrificial lamb required for our redemption. When she declares Whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord, Proverbs 1, Paragraph 38, it should be taken literally. This does not mean we now pray to her, for we are commanded to pray to the Father. But it does mean when we use the word Father to describe God, we finally regard God to be both male and female, the original image of God. While acknowledging a Divine Mother is appropriate, singling her out for worship is not. The words of the Divine Mother's Proverb and Mary's Psalm both venerate and praise the Father. The role of God the Father is critical to acknowledge and understand for our salvation. Jesus Christ is the essential Savior and Redeemer, whose atoning sacrifice is the means ordained by God to now rescue mankind from sin and death. Salvation depends on knowing, confessing, and worshiping Christ. Anything that distracts men or women from that can become an impediment to salvation. The mother's greatest accomplishment has been to take the seed of God the Father and magnify it. She controls and weaves his seed into their organized spirit offspring. From their glory, or intelligence, she produces organized intelligences or spirits. One of the titles for the Heavenly Mother is the Great Weaver because she formed unorganized intelligence into organized spirits, becoming the mother of all living. All of mankind are intimately connected to her, for they came from her. Mortal women have inherited a similar power from her. This inheritance empowers them to become mothers here. The capacity to fashion matter into another human being belongs only to her daughters. All human life begins inside the womb of the woman, where the work of the great weaver is replicated for each one of her children who has ever lived in this world.